Hi, it's Jen Kaltreiter. I'm with Mozilla's Privacy Not Included. Welcome, and you're listening to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. Hello there, everybody. Welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I'm your host, Gary Parker, and today we have episode 364 for February 19th, 2024. Uh, I got a great interview for you today. This one uh, has been percolating for a little while, ever since that article came out from Privacy Not Included about the horrible, horrible state of privacy with modern vehicles. Uh, we've already talked to uh, Andrea Miko about this a couple times, but after that article came out from Mozilla, I reached out to them and uh, Jen Kaltreiter uh, very graciously agreed to come on the show and talk all about it. So we're going to dig deep into that today. And it's it's just horrific. And really something has got to be done. Um, so real quick, before we get to that interview, did you know that you could buy your very own Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons merch? Uh, I have not mentioned this in way too long. I'm just a horrible marketer. Uh, but yeah, Hey, it's a thing. You can actually get those dragon logo t-shirts and stickers and mugs and hats and tank tops and sweatshirts and sweatpants and bags and even teddy bears, all sorts of stuff you can buy with my, with my logo on it. Now, I, I honestly, I don't make a lot of money on these things at all. It's really more about just kind of getting my logo out there for me. It's kind of, you know, helping other people find out about what we're doing, but Hey, if you're a fan of the show, there's some cool stuff in there. And uh, honestly, if if there's something you would like my logo on that they don't sell uh, or that I don't sell at the merch shop, uh, just ask. I could probably <laughs> they sell just about everything. So if you're looking for something in particular that's not there, uh, a style or a color or an item or something, let me know. And I, I can probably add it now. They've got promotions all the time. They change from week to week, I think. Uh, I think this week, for example, I think it's free shipping. I think next week is 20% off. Maybe I've got that backwards. They come and go. I don't, I don't control them. The company I work with to do the merch uh, just randomly does these things apparently. So anyway, <laughs> if you are interested, the quick way to get there is just to go to fdsd.me slash merch. Uh, and that will take you right there. The, the new spring line is out. You really, you really should check it out. Anyway, I just had not mentioned that in a long time. I, I probably should mention it more often. Anyway, let's get to our wonderful interview with Jen Kaltreiter. Jen Kaltreiter has covered technology as a journalist with CNN and went on to create and lead Mozilla's wonderfully helpful Privacy Not Included project, working as a consumer advocate in the realm of security, privacy, and artificial intelligence. Welcome to the show, Jen. Hi, thanks for having me. This is going to be great. So you guys dropped what I would call a bombshell report last fall, I guess it was, about privacy in cars. And we've talked to Andre Miko before about privacy for cars and his efforts there, but it was really interesting to see what you guys uncovered. And so I want to dig into some of that today and help people understand just what a dumpster fire privacy is in modern vehicles. So right, starting off, tell us a little bit more about uh, Privacy Not Included, maybe how you came to found it. And then tell us some of the like the top level re results from your report on car privacy. What were your, some of your top findings? Well, a little bit about me and Privacy Not Included. Privacy Not Included was started back in 2017, back when people were starting to have fitness trackers that tracked more mm -hmm. than steps and <laughs> smart speakers that listened to us. And we were curious. We saw a lot of 
buyer's guides out there that reviewed features and reliability and things like that, but nothing that reviewed anything about privacy and security from a lot of connected devices that were coming into our homes. And we thought, well, let's give that a try. And Mozilla is, you know, most people know Mozilla for Firefox. So, the, you know, we're not known for, we at the time, we, we'd never reviewed products. Mm. Um, and so created this little project that we wanted to see if it could work out called Privacy Not Included, where we reviewed that first year 48 connected products for privacy and security, very kind of bare bones. We looked at privacy policies to see what we could find um, and, and then to see if people cared. And we were s- happily surprised that people did care. And so since then, we've evolved Privacy Not Included into a buyer's guide where we've reviewed hundreds of connected devices apps and back in 20 at the end of 2023 the end of last year cars and we try to make it as accessible and fun for people as possible mm-hmm. we read all those boring privacy policies <laughs> so you don't have yeah. to right um and we have a creepo meter where you can rate how creepy you think things we have a privacy not included warning label to let you know what's really bad we have a best of category because there are a few good things out there um and mostly we just try and have fun and let consumers know what good choices they can make which leads us to what we found last year with cars and what we found last year when we reviewed the privacy and security of 25 car brands across 15 car companies was that there were no good choices. They were all bad. Mm. Um, all the cars we reviewed were a privacy nightmare. Oh. Well, we're, we're going to dig into that today. So, all right. So you said you did uh, several different car mix and models. So how did you determine which of those you're going to pick? I, I'm guessing maybe you went for the most popular ones. Um, and then how did you determine what data they were collecting and sharing? For example, like, did you have to rely just on reading their privacy policies and maybe other documentation to determine that? Or was there some way to actually, you know, directly observe and measure uh, what sort of data they were giving up? Yeah. So just kind of to preface everything, Privacy Not Included is a team of three. So we're a very small team. <laughs> um, yeah. And and when we had to narrow down the cars that we wanted to research, we, we always look at what's the most popular. And because Mozilla is a global organization, we try and not just look at what's most popular mm-hmm. in North America. I'm based here in the United States, but my research partner, Misha, is in Berlin. Um, our, our other research and writer, Zoe, is in Toronto. So we're kind of around the globe. So, but we did look at like what's most popular and, you know, from Toyota, obviously, to BMW, Mercedes that are big in Germany, as well as here. We included Renault. They're very big in Europe, but not Mm -hmm. sold here in North America as much. And yeah. And so we just looked at what was popular. We had to kind of cut off at some point. And unfortunately, I cut off Mazda and Volvo. And since then, (laughs) I've had thousands of people going, why didn't you review (laughs) Mazda or Volvo? And the funny thing is, in the midst of all this research, I ended up having to buy a new car and we bought a Mazda. And to everybody mm-hmm. who's asked me, why didn't you review Mazda's privacy? I can tell you that Mazda's privacy is just as bad as everybody else's. So, <laughs> And so how do we do our research? Well, because we're a small team, when this started, it was a team of one, me. Mm. And so the, we actually approach this as much as we can from a consumer's point of view. What can you as a consumer learn about the privacy of a product before you buy it or download it to inform you about uh, what you're getting? If if you were like us and had all day to sit around and read privacy policies and dig through security documents. So, you know, we don't have any expectation that, that, you know, consumers can go out and buy the car first and then make a decision or any product or even you shouldn't even have to download an app to see a privacy policy. Yeah. So that's how we approach the research with cars. We went out and started looking at 
well, let's find their privacy policy. <laughs> and for anybody who's ever tried to find a privacy policy for a car, a lot of people probably thought, well, I never thought I needed to look at a privacy yeah, policy right. for a car. That's new. But when we started our research, we um, we got overwhelmed very quickly because mm. it turns out cars don't just have one privacy policy. Mm -hmm. um, they have many. There's the privacy policy for the car company. There's the privacy policy for the app. There's a privacy policy for the connected services. And that's the connected service through the cars and then individual connected services like Sirius XM or Waze or things like that, other services mm -hmm. like that, uh, CarPlay, things like that are going to have their own privacy policies. There's the privacy policies for the insurance, the financial services, the car dealers and, and on and on and on. And we pretty quickly got overwhelmed. And wow. noting again that we're a team of three, we had right. to kind of like build a box that, okay, we got to focus this. And so for our research, we focused on researching the privacy policies and security of the car companies, the the car, the apps and the connected services. And we kind of left out all that other mm. stuff because it was just too much. So we did a lot of reading of, of many, many, many privacy policies. I think Toyota won for, I think we included like 12, 11 or 12 privacy policies that we found <laughs> for them. Um, it was very overwhelming. And then also looking at, you know, security information, you know, what are the documented leaks or hacks or breaches that the companies have had? What what are they saying? You know, there's an automotive industry group and what are they saying? So kind of just doing a, a lot of research. And when we started, we knew nothing. We didn't know what we were going to get. The idea for the project actually came from a reader in Sweden who had emailed me the year before going, hey, I love privacy not included. Have you ever thought about reviewing cars? And I was like, hmm, never thought about that. And then he shared some of the research he'd done on his own that was really compelling. And so that's kind of what spurred us. But when we started, we immediately were like, this is really bad. <laughs> we're like, why aren't people talking about this? This is so bad. And so I'm glad people are talking about it now. Absolutely. And a, a lot of privacy is certainly in the United States is built around this concept of notice and consent. And so I'm curious how I just bought a new car. I, I turned it on for the first time and put my key in it. How am I notified and how did I give consent? Uh, well, it depends. You might not have seen anything if you didn't download an app. You might have seen a quick flash on the, the screen in the console of your car when you were setting it up. Maybe when the dealer or the salesperson was there setting up with you and it was just like, you know, a quick click agree to, mm -hmm. to kind of move forward and be able to drive off the lot. <laughs> uh, uh, Subaru's privacy policy was interesting because it seemed to indicate that the moment you became as much as a passenger in the car, you had consented to their privacy policy. So consent with cars is a very is a very sticky situation. It's very hard to know when when you've consented and what exactly you've consented to. So I, I think probably if people thought about it, they'd realize that certainly modern cars are chock full of sensors, right? They've got, you know, things for measuring temperature inside and outside. They've got obviously probably emission standards that they have to comply to. So they've got emission sensors and motion sensors for triggering airbags. But today they've also got precise location built into a lot of them because a lot of cars have GPS built in. And then even more modern cars have got things that monitor you as a passenger inside the cabin of the vehicle. So how might these sensors be used to violate our privacy? And I'm just curious, are EVs or electric vehicles any worse than, than regular cars when it comes to this stuff? Yeah, as far as we can tell, a car, any car made now or in like the last five years forward, whether it's a smart car, whether it's an electric car 
or a regular old gas car is still kind of collecting as much data as possible. Electric cars can collect more information about where you stop and charge or when you charge and things like that than gas cars. But beyond that, like you said, they all have sensors inside. You know, they know how much you weigh, (laughs) you know, how many passengers you have, where you're going, when you're going there, how fast you're driving, when you're braking, um, what you're listening to. You know, they have cameras facing in on your face to see if you're awake. They have cameras facing out to tell you if you're backing into something or if there's something in front of you. You know, and then there's the app. Um, you connect your download the app. It's it's going to collect a lot of location data on you that way, as well as additional usage information, the connected services. Like just the data collection is enormous um, and it doesn't stop there. You know, the, the car companies go on to say that they can collect data about you from other places within their groups. So the car dealer, potentially the, you know, the financial services, the, you know, if you Mm -hmm. have a affiliated insurance, data collection can flow that way, as well as they can get that data from third party sources, whether that be government sources, publicly available information, social media, data brokers, they say, according to their privacy policies, that they can collect tons and tons and tons of information on you. And some of it can get very personal. Well, one thing you mentioned was charging of electric vehicles, and that is something that I've been kind of, I just got on that electric vehicle last year, my first one. I was very happy to get it. Um, but I knew what I was getting into in terms of there was going to be privacy issues there. And to me, like uh, filling up a, a car is the difference between charging a flashlight and charging your smartphone. You know, the flashlight, just pure power. It's just got to, it's just, you know, like gas. It's just, I'm just putting f- fuel into your vehicle. There's no, there's no data. When you plug in electric vehicle, it's like more like a USB connection. There's power and there's data. And they exchange to the point where a lot of cases, if you have it set up right, you just plug in your car. You don't have to pay for anything. It knows who you are. It knows who your car is. And you've got an account with them and a card on file. And you just plug it in, then you go. And and so who knows what other data might be exchanged while you're doing that. And so I don't think that's something else I don't think people are thinking about. And and the apps with electric vehicles. I mean, I, with my, my new car, like we chose not to download and install the app, but with electric vehicles, I don't think a lot of people have that option. If you want to charge right. it, you you need to have the app. And so that's just another place that you're being tracked. Well, and you know, some of the really cool features that we had on cars, like, you know, remote start and, uh, and things like that are, were on the fob. And so that's fine, but there's so many interesting f- things you could do with my car now like if i'm sitting at dinner and i'm about to pay the check and it's really cold outside i could tell my car warm up to 72 degrees uh before i get there you know that's a little different than remote start you know and it's it could be a hundred yards away you know that would that a key fob wouldn't reach and so you need the app for that and they know that and so they put a lot of really cool features in the app and they want you to download the app so all right so let's let's formalize this a little bit you've you've made mention of the other third-party things like uh sirius and carplay uh android auto and and smartphone apps like you're saying that this is this is more and more common my mom has an ice vehicle internal combustion engine she's got a regular fuel car but it comes with an app and the salesman was really pushing hard for her to install that app before she ever left the parking lot you know when she bought the car it's like oh first thing to do is before you even get the car is let's install the app and at the time i told her i wouldn't i wouldn't do that like just tell him no and we'll think about it later but i bet you it's not going to be much longer than even ice cars you're, gonna, you're almost going to have to to get the full v- use of the vehicle so anyway well, um that, do we know what kind of go ahead well i was just going to add because that's interesting because since our research came out i've heard a few anecdotes of people who bought cars one person who i work with who bought a car and as part of the buying process, the salesperson pushed her to download the app and mentioned to her that her commission was based on Tied? whether 
Ooh. was tied to getting her to download and install the app and accept oh, all wow. terms and conditions. Oh, and wow. it was ex- and it was it wasn't just download and install but accept all terms and conditions. Right. And oh, then wow. I was That's telling. doing yeah, it's very I was doing a radio interview with somebody in Calgary and he mentioned that he had a friend who bought had recently bought a car and the dealer wouldn't actually let him drive off the lot until he had downloaded and installed <laughs> the app. Wow. And so fortunately for me when we bought our car I had been up front about uh with the with the dealer that I was <laughs> privacy person and he's like you want the app and I was like nope and he didn't push it. So <laughs> <laughs> So do we and another one, by the way, is insurance companies. And then you you made a, uh, an offhand mention of that to you. A lot of it, the, the old days, the insurance companies to get your preferred driver discount, you'd put in this little uh, OBD2 dongle underneath your car and it would wirelessly transmit or something to tell them what your driving habits were. Now they just want you to install the app because it can collect a lot more information from you from doing that. So um, I know you, I think you said this, but did you look into it all or, or what's your sense maybe because it was so overwhelming? What other kinds of third party stuff is being collected? Yeah, the third party stuff is something that, like we said, we kind of had to table a little bit, you know, just because we didn't have enough time to get into it. But we know that the insurance is is one of the big collectors of data. And, you know, you mentioned the the old, you know, back in the old days, what, like 10 years ago, uh, (laughs) you know, I know, so long ago, you know, you could opt in to that little insurance fob that they sent you. It was like, oh, I want a discount on my insurance. I'll opt in and get this fob and install it. I have the choice. I installed it. I can yank it out at any time. Um, but now all that's just built in and, and our, our choice and consent has kind of been removed from us in a lot of ways. But, you know, I heard a rumor in doing the research and I'm hopeful that we'll have time to look into this deeper in 2023 that SiriusXM is a huge data collector. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're not just collecting data. I've heard, I, I can't confirm this, so, um, but mm-hmm. I've heard that and I want to dig into it, um, that they're not just collecting data about what you're listening to on the radio, but they're collecting data about your car and your movements. And you're like, well, why would this serious sexism need to know about that <laughs> you know um and and then yeah there's just so many other the sharing the sharing of information the one that really stood out to us as a as a big concern um is the sharing with government and law enforcement and the very mm-hmm. low bar that the, a lot of these car companies listed as you know the bar that they would share some very personal information with law enforcement or government and that gets that kind of gets like a little more creepy when you Mm -hmm. think of how that could be used and abused. You know, we saw one privacy policy uh, that mentioned they could share data with law enforcement or government based on informal requests. And I'm still not sure what an informal request is. In my Mm. mind, it's like the local police officer down at the bar having a beer with, you know, the car (laughs) guy and being like, hey, I'd sure like to get that data on my ex-wife. And they're like, Mm. that's an informal request. Here you go. (laughs) You know, hopefully it's not that bad, but but it's hard to tell based when you say you'll share data with law enforcement government on an informal request. It feels like a very low bar. Well, and I think there's two angles to this, and like any data collection stuff that we've talked about on the show a lot, uh, is there's two angles. There's the consumer angle where these companies are publicly traded companies and their shareholders are demanding value. And so if there's money on the table, they want to pick it up. And that money right now is monetizing your data. So they're going to find any way they can to monetize that data. But what that does in turn is it enables law enforcement or whether they be foreign or domestic, I mean, this, or, you know, this could be, you know, espionage or nation states, that data is now there for them to collect as well, uh, either through formal means or uh, by hacking, I guess. And it, so, you know, data is going to, if you build it, they will come these data, you know, there's all this data. So, so that, yeah, that is extremely worrying. In fact, I heard that, you know, GM 
has come out and said, we're not going to do CarPlay or Android Play going forward. Maybe that was only on their EVs. But they 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 vehemently said, we're going to only give you ours. You're going to like take it and like it. Uh, <laughs> and they said it was for responsiveness. They gave all these kind of hand-waving things. But I think what I really heard under the covers was it was like, well, no, that they want the data. And it, and they so they want direct access to that data so they can monetize it. And they because I guess maybe with CarPlay and Android Auto, they don't have as much access to it. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. And GM is a very interesting one. They've done that where they're 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 cutting out Apple and Android um, and, and, and pushing users to their own. They've also done that with their OnStar system. There was a story or a couple of stories that we read um, and as part of our research about how as part of the sticker price, users that bought new GM cars were charged the $1,500 for the OnStar connected services, whether they wanted it or not. Um, it was just part of the sticker. And, and if consumers are like, well, I don't want that. There was no way to be like, oh no, it's part of the sticker price. You, you get mm. this. Now you can not, you can choose to not use it, but you're still paying $1,500 for it and it still comes installed. And so GM is an interesting one and in really looking at ways to capture that data and keep people within their own systems to, to, to get it. Kind of stinks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, more than kind of. Um, okay, so let, let's say uh, I've listened to this podcast. I'm buying a new car, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to find those privacy policies. I'm going to find out where I can opt out. I'm going to find those consent dialogues, <laughs> and I'm going to say no. <laughs> is, that, is that possible? How would I how would I do that? And I'm curious to know if, since you said you did a global thing, is it is it better for people in Europe? I don't know if European cars are different, or if you have to actually be a driver in Europe. But is it different there? Yeah. So. My short answer is good luck opting out. Um, <laughs> you might be able to opt out of some small things, but I'll use the example of Tesla's privacy policy as kind of a way that th I think the car companies approach this. And Tesla's privacy policy had a line in it, a paragraph in it that said, hey, you bought this car because it's connected, but we get it. If you want to opt out of personal data collection, you sure can. Here's how. And you're like, great. And then you read the rest of that paragraph and it goes on to say, however, if you do this, your car might become inoperable or unsafe. <laughs> and you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> that's, that's not a choice, you know? And, right. and what, what we see with a lot of these car companies uh, is they, they, a, a lot of these features can be, you know, safety features. A lot of them are safety features. Backup cameras is a great safety feature. Um, a camera that monitors to see if you're falling asleep and, and notify you is, is a good safety feature. Yeah. But, you know, and some of these other things are useful. But what, what I think, I think we're seeing is these car companies couple the safety features with the data collection and don't give you a way to uncouple them, you know? Right. And so in a perfect world, you buy a new car and you'd automatically be opted into all the safety features and automatically be opted out of all the data collection for monetization and then be given a very clear choice of, hey, would you like to ha share this data for this, you know, we're going to monetize it, you know, up front. But that's not how it works. And, you know, interestingly, after our research came out and, and the car companies got a little little bit of a black eye, I, I assume, you know, there, there, there's an automotive industry group and they put up a they put up a whole page on their website um, in response to, oh, how they're great at privacy. And they had a memo and the memo was we're we're about safety. We're not spying on you. These features are for safety. And so they really push the safety angle. And and so even if you go to like decoup, like turn off some of these features, you'll get notifications that will warn you that, oh, if you turn this off, you might lose some safety 
features. And I think that kind of scares a lot of people. Or even sure. if you try and physically disable things, Cashmere Hill and the New York Times did a, a great piece at the beginning of the year about how a lot of these features that new connected cars have, like location tracking and geofencing to send alerts if, if people leave a certain area, can be used by abusers um, if you're in an abusive relationship. And there was a story of a woman that wanted the, whose husband was tracking her through her car, and, and she wanted the company to disable that, and they wouldn't. So she finally took it to a dealer. I mean, not to a dealer, but an independent mechanic uh, to have that disabled. And it did disable it. It also disabled like her SOS calling. So if she was in an accident, she wouldn't be able to call for help. And it might have also voided her warranty. And so mm. it, it's very tricky the, the way these car companies have kind of created these features that do have some safety impact, but coupled them very tightly with data, from what I can tell, at least seemingly coupled them very tightly with data collection to use that data for monetization. Right. Okay. Uh, and it's a, is it any better in Europe? I mean, because of GDPR and things like that, or do they have more rights? Absolutely. Europeans have more rights because of uh, their privacy law, GDPR. Um, they have the right to have their data collected. Um, they have the right to, you know, they have better rights to consent and choice and things like that. And so the, the one car company on the list that had kind of the best privacy, and I'm you Using can't see quotes. me, but if you could, I'm, <laughs> I'm putting that in, in quotes because it's it's still far from good, was Renault, which is a French-based company that doesn't sell cars in, in the U.S. And that's because they do have to comply to, to GDPR. They still weren't great. I mean, you know, reading a, a, a American privacy policies versus reading European privacy policies, you learn a lot more when you read our privacy policies. Um, the European hmm. ones are a lot more vague because they aren't as explicit. Um, it talks hmm. a lot more about what rights you have but a lot less more about data collection and use, which is interesting. And then there's the question of, for the Europeans, is how well is GDPR actually enforced when it comes to cars? And I think um, car companies carry a lot of weight in Europe, much like they do here in the U.S. Um, and so the question is, how much is GDPR enforced? And so how how well are those put protections actually protecting people in Europe? And and I, I've heard from a number of people that work on issues over there that they have grave concerns as well. GDPR might protect them a little bit more, but they still don't feel like it's near enough and they don't feel like it's being enforced well enough. Yeah, enforcement is something that's often that there's so many aspects to even if you get the regulations, you know, you've got to not only be able to enforce them, they have to have teeth, but you also have to have funding, for example, <laughs> we do that a lot in this country where if we don't like something, we just dry up their cash and they can't do anything about it. Okay, so were you able to determine how, like, where all this data that's being collected, where is it actually stored? Like, uh, for example, is that how much of it's stored on some sort of a little internal drive on the vehicle, maybe somewhere, uh, versus how much is uploaded to the cloud? Do we have any idea, maybe based on the privacy policies, how long this data is retained? And then if I wanted to, could I ask them to delete my data or, or anything along those lines? Yeah. So I'll admit that we didn't do a lot of technical digging into the cars because we just don't have that technical ability. We based our research basically on what's publicly available from policies and documents and reports. Mm -hmm. So where the data is being stored is a very good question. And I can't answer that. I, I, I will leave that to be better experts. What sort of data they're collecting and, and how much control over that I can go into a little bit more because that's something they address in their privacy policies. Basically, what sort of 
information they're collecting is anything and any everything they possibly can. <laughs> um, you know, s Nissan and Kia mentioned collecting information on your sexual activity. Um, at least four companies m mentioned genetic information. I remember at least one company mentioning olfactory information, which I was like, well, that's a new one. Um <laughs> You know, and then they and then they have these things where they talk about the California Civil Code with a bunch of garbledygook. And if you go read the information in that California Civil Code, it's basically any personal information that exists on you. So your your financial information, your your birth date, your location, you know, your your union status, your immigration Jeez. status. You know, it just you know, like they list the, the amount of information they say they can collect on you in their privacy policies is huge. And I get asked a lot. Oh, well, how Nissan collecting information about my sexual activity. Can they tell when the back seat is rocking? Right. And, and and the answer to that question is I don't know. I don't know how <laughs> they're collecting it. All I know is that when you purchase a Nissan, in order to use their product, you have to consent to a privacy policy that when we reviewed it said that they could collect information on your sexual activity and use it for purposes such as direct marketing. And that's rather shocking <laughs> to see. Well, and of course, Tesla, I don't know, it was last year, was somebody exposed the fact that Tesla employees were looking at videos recorded by the Tesla vehicles. I don't know if it was inside or outside the car or both, but people being naked around their vehicles, maybe in the garage or something like that. And they were, you know, because they were employees that had access to that, they were pointing and laughing and sharing these videos with people that got in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, it wouldn't take much of an AI algorithm to figure out when sexual activity is happening if you've got raw video. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you know, maybe. I, Genetic, that's interesting, though. <laughs> An olfactory, that's, that's uh, I, as an engineer, I'm curious to know how, how they'd go about doing that. How about, a, do you know, I don't know if they get this far in their privacy policy, do they declare that the stuff is encrypted or do they try to help you at least believe that it's secured? You know, uh, most privacy policies have a mention, oh, we do our best to secure this, but they also, a lot of them also have the out that you see in privacy policies across the board that says, hey, anything that's on the internet is never 100% secure. So, mm -hmm. you know, anything you share with us, we can't guarantee that it will be secure. You see that in, in most every privacy policy. Um, and it's just a good reminder. It's like the companies themselves are saying, hey, you're, you're, we're going to ask you to share all this data. We're going to collect all this data on you. And we can't guarantee it's going to be kept safe, <laughs> which is, is interesting because the majority of the companies we reviewed had had fairly significant data leaks or privacy breaches over the past sure. few years. Like none of them were – like few of them were completely clean in that regard. So when it comes down to like where this is stored, one of the reasons I was curious of whether or not it's it's stored locally as well as you know sent to the cloud is I'm thinking, can my dealership get a hold of this? I'm, I'm assuming most of this is probably at least the, the the car sensor data is probably going back to the manufacturer in some way, shape, or form, or the or their third parties that handle that subcomponent of the vehicle. But I'm thinking about okay, what about dealerships? If I take my car in to get repaired, do they have access to the same data because they can plug in and download it? Or law enforcement, a cop, if I get pulled over. Or if they impound my car, maybe, you know, can they get access to this data? Do we, do we have any sense for that? I'm going to speak to what I've heard from other people. So this isn't through my own reach. It's just it's secondhand kind of understanding of how that works. My understanding is a lot of data is, is can be stored on your car. You know, you connect your phone to your car. Some of your phone's data can be stored there. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of your car usage data and, and location tracking data can be stored on your car. My understanding, and again, this is not through my own research, but through 
you know, what I've heard is that when you take your car to the dealership, they can connect your car and download a lot of information. And that's a privacy concern. It's also very interesting when you think about, you know, you buy a new car and your car dealer gives you three years of free service and you take your car in and you get it serviced and they get data off of it every time they go there versus when you take your car to, you know, the local mechanic down the road where they might not be doing that same amount of data collection and have the same sharing agreements within right. the the car company's uh, brand of families. And so it's it's an interesting question of, is it more private to take my car to the local mechanic where he might not be collecting as much data and sharing that versus to the dealership? Uh, it's a question that I, I would like to answer more formally than my hypothesis. <laughs> uh, but I think it's a good one. You know, I think there are a lot of... I mean, you know, our, our research raised a lot more questions than it answered. And, <laughs> and, and it's been really nice to see other people kind of picking up the ball and moving it forward as they're looking into it as well. Well, and, the, and there's even other aspects to that. I'm mean, like uh, uh, antitrust and right to repair. You know, if, if my dealership has access to data that would allow them to better service my vehicle, and this is kind of going the other way, there are good reasons to have some of this data. If it allowed them to better service my vehicle or do things for my vehicle that a third party couldn't, that would, you know, certainly be an unfair advantage, it would seem to them. And then from a right to repair standpoint, I mean, uh, third parties as well that, that might, or even me, right? If maybe I don't have access to that, that data and they can, it would help me to repair my own vehicle. Uh, so that, that there, it's really complex. There's a lot of aspects to this issue. All right. So what about data collected on cars that I don't own? Maybe I've got a company car. Maybe I've rented a car. Maybe I'm a, you know, a, a cop or a bus driver or a Amazon driver or a UPS driver. And, and so I've got a fleet vehicle. And so maybe I'm, I'm sure I'm connecting my phone to that because I want to get calls and things. It's probably got a port for that. Or I'm just riding someone else's car. It's like, Hey, I got a cool playlist. Let me, let me plug in. And, and so you can hear my cool tunes, right? What are the implications uh, there? Is it, is it all just the same? I mean, the car doesn't know if you're the owner or not, I assume, right? One of our favorite findings in our research was the privacy policies that we read. And there were more than one that had lines in it that was basically, um, hey, owner driver of your car, it's your job to read this privacy policy and relay this, this policy information to anybody who gets in your car. Because anybody who gets in your car is consented to this privacy policy. <laughs> and, and we just got such a kick out of that. Cause you just imagine you go to pick up your buddy on Saturday afternoon to go catch a movie. And before you can leave, you're like, okay, wait a minute. And you rip out the privacy policy and you spend, you know, the next hour reading it to them. So they're clear that the car is collecting data and here's how. And, and we don't know exactly how it's going to be used. But oh, by the way, you know, now that you're in this car, you've consented to this. And, and that's it's just it's just so laughable <laughs> you know yes. i mean you're like seriously like the moment i step into this car i've consented to a privacy policy and it's the driver's responsibility to relay that privacy policy information to me when the driver's probably never even seen the privacy policy you know it's it, yeah. this is kind of the when you shake your head at what's wrong with the world and, and <laughs> lawyers you're like this is kind of what you point to is like like this isn't how the world works and so it's a very good question you know you rent a car and then when you rent your car you connect it you know to do the navigation because you're driving in a, in a city you don't know or something like that and then you disconnect your car and you return it is that data de been deleted 
Probably not. You know, there's a very good chance that it hasn't, you know, or you sell your connected car and you forget to disconnect the app and the next person's driving it around and you can see their location in your app still because you forgot to disconnect the app. You know, a lot of people don't think, oh, I need to wipe my car clean and do a factory <laughs> reset when I right. sell right. it or, or return it. And so, again, you know, this is just kind of one of privacy not included's like biggest gripe since day one is the companies put way too much onus on us, the consumer, oh, yes. to protect our yes. own privacy from them instead of doing a good job at protecting our, our privacy. And every car, every privacy policy I've ever read starts with, we hear it. X company really value your privacy and we do everything we can to respect <laughs> but, it. Right. And then you go on to read all this other stuff that indicates otherwise. And so, yeah, there's just way too much responsibility expected on the consumers right now. It, it's it's beyond ridiculous. And, and there needs to be some serious change. Yeah, notice, noticing consent is just, it's a farce. It's way too easy to, to pull one over at us. And we're un, inundated with these things. We all just click agree. That means we don't have time to read these things. Literally don't have time. These things are huge. These privacy policies are novels. <laughs> yeah, and even if you did have time to read them, the chances of understanding them are right. small. I mean, I like I said, me and my team read them for a living. And we spend half our days scratching our head, messaging each other back and forth. Goes, Does this make sense to you? You know, what's this mean? And it's all very, like, legal, lawyerly. There's a lot of big, well, we may collect information about X, Y, and Z, or mm. you have the right, one of my favorites is you have the right to request your data be deleted. Well, I mean, everybody has the right to request anything, right? Like I right. can request that like, you know, Ford give me a million dollars, you know, <laughs> I, I, that doesn't mean they're going to do it. And so right. to put a line in and say, hey, you have the right to request your data be deleted. And then they go on and said, depending on what jurisdiction you live in, Right. That will determine if we actually delete your data. And I know you asked about data deletion a little while ago, and I never answered that. And the answer in the United States is it depends on what state you live in. I live in Vermont. After we bought a new car, I went online to ask them to Mazda to delete my data. And you go into the little form, and the very first thing they ask is, what state do you live in? And when I told right. them Vermont, they basically laughed me off the internet and <laughs> said, ha-ha, we won't do anything. If I'd lived in California, then they're kind of been like, okay, finish completing this confusing form, and we might delete your data data. So yeah, it's pretty haphazard when it comes to data deletion. Well, and I'd also have to think just from a legal standpoint, the the ownership of that data must get really muddy when you're renting a car or when it's a fleet vehicle and you don't own the car, but you're the assigned driver of the vehicle. You know, maybe you're signing that away as part of your rental contract, for example, or when you your employee contract, when you become a driver that, you know, any data we collect of the car is ours, not yours. And you're, you give up your rights to it. It's, it's so muddy. It's just, yeah. <laughs> okay. So yeah, we like to say, you know, if the if the product is free, then you are probably the product. But cars are really expensive. We, there are unfortunate times when this, like our cell phones too, right? We pay a lot of money for our cell phones, and they're still monetizing our data. Are, are car companies being upfront about this? Like, are they telling you when you're buying a vehicle now that they're doing this? Are, the, are dealers required to not only force you to <laughs> apparently install the app, but are they at least required to give you some sort of a, a heads up that they're doing this kind of thing? Are the are the car? Is there enough transparency? The short answer is no. Like I said, we just bought a car last year. At no point was a privacy policy, a privacy documentation, information sharing kind of ever presented or discussed as part of that buying process. You know, it's like I said, some cars will, you know, you'll start it up and you'll get into the connected service and there'll be a quick 
screen and i've heard people describe them as really quick at quick and they act you know and you actually like hit a button to try and sort it out you know with a new car you're like how does this work and you hit Mm -hmm. buttons and things disappear and then they (laughs) never come back and you're like Mm -hmm. i don't know what i just agreed to and at this point i don't even know where to go to find out so no the, the process to inform consumers and be transparent with consumers about this is is non-existent at at worst or very, very, very weak and lame at best. But if you talk to the car manufacturers, they'll swear up and down that they're transparent and and they're open and they give people all Mm -hmm. kinds of opportunities for choice. And I don't know if they're out of touch or evil, but that's not actually what's happening. I think I don't think that's most consumers experience with it. And so, yeah, no, there's no there's nowhere near the level of transparency, choice and consent that needs to exist right now. We focus a lot about privacy, and I think uh, I think that's enough. I, I don't think we necessarily have to go further than that. But if for some reason, if that's not compelling enough, let's let's think about like security because there's be- beyond just this creepy factor of behind the scenes or monetizing me. And oh, that's funny. I I went to this area of town the other day, and now I'm seeing you know ads for the store that's right over there. Huh, is that a coincidence? Probably not. <laughs> But anyway, besides just, you know, the creepy privacy stuff, there's there's real security aspects to this kind of data being collected. I mean, one of the things you mentioned was uh, and I saw the article, too, from Cashmere Hill about spouses or or ex lovers or or significant others, whatever. Somebody you're with, you shared a car together, you're with some time together and they've maybe now have access through the car app or something to to track you or to get some of this data to find out, oh, maybe she's cheating on me. Where's that? Where's the new place she's been spending the night or things like that? There are security issues around this, too. Do you know of any other like either theoretically or true actual anecdotes where this has become an issue? Well, it was interesting when we were doing our research, you know, we would read as much about the cars and apps and stuff as we could. And you'd go to like some of the app pages and they would tout features like our valet parking features. And and that would include things like location tracking, a geofencing. So you could set up a geofenced area and you would get a notification anytime your car left that geofenced area. Or teen driving um, protections mm-hmm. features, which include mm-hmm. being able to set limits on speed or how loud the radio can be or hmm. or, you know, convenience features like a digital key that you can give to somebody to use temporarily and then revoke at any time. And as we were reading about these, you know, they all sound, oh, valet parking feature that lets me track things and get a notification when a car leaves an area or digital keys that I can revoke at any time. And, you know, I'm a jaded person. And I all I could think (laughs) of was how these could be such used by abusers in horrible, horrible ways. But that there was never any mention on any of the car car manufacturers literature about, hey, these features are designed to be useful for valet parking or your teen driver, but we recognize that abuse, these could be abused in abusive situations. And so if that's the case, here are some measures we've taken to help prevent that. I never saw that. And, it, you, you know, if you've anybody that's heard of AirTags know AirTags came out from Apple, the little tracking Bluetooth mm-hmm. things. And not long after, people are like, oh, these could be used by stalkers. We need anti-stalking features. And Apple said, oh, yeah, we better get on that. And they did. um, And it's gotten a little better. And I feel like with the cars, it's like, again, it goes back to, was there just nobody in the the room when they were building these things? Like, was there like literally no woman in the room that said, um, hey, this could be really abusive if somebody got a hold of this? Like, or did some woman in the room raise her hand and they just ignored her? Or 
did or did they just not think I just don't know how you could build mm. these features for location tracking, geofencing, remote keys, um, limiting area, limiting speed and not think how they could be abused and then not have any way to like acknowledge that this could be abused and say, here's how to contact us if you're having issues or here's a way to disable things or just anything to kind of mitigate that. And, and again, I don't know. Again, is it car companies are stupid or are they evil? I can't tell, but it's really frightening to me that that there's women out there that have been stalked by their abusers by their cars and haven't been able to get the companies to do anything about it. Well, as somebody who attended, attends DEF CON every year now and going to their car hacking village, what this means to me is these cars are now on the internet all the time, at least while they're on, I guess. But like with my EV right now is technically off but it's on <laughs> it's got a battery in it i mean i could communicate with it right now if i wanted to by whipping out my app so it's on uh which means it's connected to the internet uh and it's not just wi-fi it's not like it's just when it's in my garage it's got a cellular connection it's connected anywhere there's cell towers which is everywhere and there have been cases like the the classic one was the jeep one where the guys were able to hit the brakes on a jeep remotely uh and there's been other ones recently too where there's been remote hacking on these cars it, it could be a security nightmare and of course and then from, there's espionage capabilities. You know, what if I could track the car that I know that President Biden's Secret Service detail uses? Or, you know, I'm sure there, I would hope that the, the beast is a little more locked down than that. But <laughs> certainly there's got to be, you know, there's got to be espionage and other, even if you trust your own government with this information, you might not trust foreign governments. Do you have any comments on that? Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, there there were some articles that we came across about how ICE had very cozy relationships mm, with some of the mm. car manufacturers to share data to track people that they had deemed illegal immigrants. You know, you think about our abortion laws in the country now and, and how that could really be used against women seeking reproductive health care. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, government, government is a big entity. There's local government, there's state government, mm -hmm. there's federal government, mm -hmm. there's foreign government. And any of these getting access either legally or illegally to listen in, to look in, to take control of your car, it all gets really scary really fast, especially when you think of we're Americans. Our cars mean something to us. They mean mm. independence and freedom. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. you know, they're where we have our first kiss or the hanky-panky <laughs> in the back seat, or we sing too loud or we have a, a sensitive conversation with our kids. You know, like people th think of them to this too. I, I mean, to this day, I hope that I think they still think of them as a private space, an extension of their mm. home. And the fact that they are so no longer private to the degree that they are, and people aren't really aware of it because we don't buy cars every year or every couple of years, like we do a phone or a computer or something like that. You know, um, yeah. we buy cars every five years or 10 years and privacy can't be the first thing we think about. You know, you have to think about what you can afford and what's safe and what features fit your needs and what's available to you. And only after all that, maybe privacy might be a consideration. But after you bought the car, it's too late to do anything. And even if there was anything you can do, which there's really not. And so... It's just it, we've gotten to the point where we're just in a really bad situation and there's not a lot consumers can do. And it's up to the policymakers and the regulators to step up and, and push these car companies to be better because there's just at this point we're kind of helpless. And, and that stinks um, as a privacy researcher who advocates for consumers. It makes me really, really angry when consumers don't have any choice. 
as well it should. So what kind of response did you get from this article from the manufacturers? Did you know, I know you tried to reach out to them beforehand, but once the article came out, did that maybe <laughs> did that wake them up a little bit more for some of the ones that were less responsive? And I really what I'm curious is did this trigger any response from legislators either in the US or, or uh, abroad? Uh, the car companies continue to ignore us. They mm. mostly ignored us when we were doing our research and reached out to them. We heard from a couple, mostly one told us to stop spamming them with their questions. Another one answered a couple of our questions, but not very well. Um, uh, and then after the, it came out, we didn't hear from them at all. They b basically ignored us. We heard through some journalists, some responses of things like Kia, who got called out because they say they could collect information about your sex life and their privacy policy. And Kia's response to the journalists we talked to was, oh, we're not doing that. And I'm like, okay, I guess we just have to take your word for it. Mm. Um, so not a lot of response. You know, you hear through the grapevine, oh, the car companies are really up in arms about this. They This has got them really worried. You know, you hear about that, but we didn't hear from them directly. In terms of the, the response from policymakers and regulators, mm -hmm. that was that has been encouraging. I mean, we, we've talked to some staffers that work from the House Energy and Commerce Committee about what we found and, and what might be some short-term things that could be done. Um, Senator Ed Markey's office sent mm -hmm. a letter to the 15 car companies asking some of the questions to the car companies to answer some of the questions that we couldn't get answers to. At least four European members of parliament have submitted questions for car companies to mm -hmm. answer, um, trying to get answers and, and, and doing their own work over there. And so it's been nice to see that at least some some of the elected officials and, and regulators and policymakers, we talked to the folks from the GAO, the Government Accountability Office, which was very exciting for me. I'm a big fan of the GAO. And so it's it's nice to see that that's happening, maybe a little late, maybe a lot late, but it's happening. And it's nice to see that it's happening both in the United States and in Europe, um, because those are the big markets. And hopefully, you know, anything that can be pushed here or there can be trickle out to smaller markets too. And so that's encouraging. Um, but those wheels grind really slowly and nothing might happen in the next year or two while this continues to get worse, which is a little disheartening. <laughs> but sure. I think if we if we keep pressure on, you know, keep calling your elected officials, um, it's an election year. Vote for the people that support strong privacy regulations. Ask them those mm -hmm. questions when before mm -hmm. you go to the ballot box. Um, consider that. Do you have any sense, and I, I know you're, you're not a lawyer, but do you have, do you have any sense for the, the laws that are on the books now or the ones that have been proposed for privacy? California is obviously leading the way, as they often do in this, in this uh, arena. But there have been several privacy bills that have at least poked their head up in, at the federal level, and they haven't, unfortunately, been passed. But do you know if they're kind of phrased in a way that they would include cars should they become law? Like, does CCPA and CPRA in California – do they do they govern cars or is, was that something that's kind of a loophole because it's it's not really considered? Um, most of the car companies' privacy policies you read did have a CCPA, a, a the California Privacy Law section. It was actually if you're ever if you're ever interested in reading a privacy policy because you have way too much time on your hands. Um, <laughs> Just skip to the California privacy policy section if if a privacy policy has one because it's going to – it tends to be a lot more detailed because 
California law requires that they disclose, you know, what the information is collected for and how it's used and if it's being sold under the, the definition of sold of California. Um, and so CCPA does govern this. But uh, <laughs> it only goes so far, you know, Californians have the right to know more or have the right to know if their data is being sold and they have the right to have it be deleted. But it doesn't put any limits on the rights of what can be collected mm-hmm. and how it can be used necessarily. And so that's kind of where the problems come in is just car companies collecting as much data as they possibly can and then saying, oh, we're going to use this for legitimate business purposes and and. So much can be considered a legitimate business purpose. So I'm no policy expert, so all I can't go into the details of all the state privacy laws and what covers what. Um, and like you said, there have been some proposed federal privacy laws, but nothing that's actually really kind of got a lot of momentum behind it right now. Uh, hopefully that will change soon. Um, so we're still a long way away, uh, and, and privacy protections aren't very good across the country, even where they are good, they still aren't nearly enough. All right. So a couple of questions before you go. First of all, so what can we do? It sounds like what you're basically saying is not a whole lot. Like there's no, there's not a really good way to opt out. You can't really avoid it with new cars. So I guess, is there like a year when this really started? Like if I wanted, if I'm just adamant, like, you know what, I'm going to get an old car, so I don't have to deal with this. How old would that car have to be for me not to have to deal with this? And then as a consumer and as a citizen, what do you, I mean, what do you recommend? You already mentioned, you know, writing your representatives, anything else that we can do along these lines to help uh, for have a better future when, uh, as, as far as this is concerned? Yeah. Uh, so when did it start is a very good question. Um, I know the first recall, you mentioned this, Jeeps had a security hack, I believe it was in 2016. And that was the first year that an official recall was issued on a car um, for cybersecurity reasons. Mm. And so if you want to go back and buy a car that kind of falls out of this um, modern car technology, you've got to go back probably more than 10 years to be safe. I drive a 2022 Toyota Tundra and it's wonderful and I hope it lasts forever (laughs) because it's not collecting very much on me. Um, It doesn't have any apps and I love it. Um, But unfortunately, I'm really hesitant to tell people to do that because most of us don't have the resources and knowledge to afford to upkeep and maintain an old car. It's just not a realistic expectation. And and so then you're like, okay, so I have to get a newer car, you know, make sure the person, if you're buying used, make sure the person behind it, that had it before deleted their app and reset the, you know, factory reset it. And, you know, okay, so I'm not going to download, install the app. That's one thing I've done. But is that really, you know, I'm still, you know, going to connect my, you know, CarPlay so I can see the map on the car and I'm still got sensors and cameras and that's collecting data and sharing it back. And can I disable that? I've had a lot of people emailing asking, can I just disable this? And maybe if you're super technical, you could go in and find a way to disable it. But then you run the risk of invalidating your warranty or making your car unsafe. Um, if your yeah. car can't get safety updates or, or right. you know, basically can't update its software, it could become unsafe. Um, and that's an issue. And so I, I'd be very hesitant to recommend people to fool around with that sort of stuff. So really, it does come down at the end of the day that... Unfortunately, consumers don't have good options. You know, I live in a rural area, so riding my bike everywhere isn't an option. Uh, and, and again, it comes back to it's time for the people with power 
to do to do more. It's time for, I mean, I would love to see the car companies do what's right, but my faith in that is low. So it, it comes down to us pushing the policymakers and the regulators to really do something and do something with a strong consumer focus. You know, don't let the car companies in to write their own privacy laws. Yeah. Don't let them self-regulate. Like we need something that's better. I mean, because now the stories are coming out that, you know, car companies are now um, coming with chat GPT. Um, yep. Mercedes comes with TikTok installed. Uh, you know, you're you're getting even more data collection mechanisms built in your car not less. And so, yeah, I, I hate to be such a doom and gloom Debbie Downer. I really do. <laughs> uh, um, but I just, I, I, at this point, I don't know what to tell people that could actually be useful. Um, little things like don't install the app, um, request your data be deleted and see what happens. But those are drips in a pond and yeah. not nearly enough. Well, uh, I'm so glad you're doing what you're doing. I, uh, I I have a best and worst gift guide that I put out every Thanksgiving, and I reference you guys all the time. Uh, and I, so I refer you guys to the Privacy Not Include all the time. It's great stuff there. And, and this particular report is just earth-shattering. So what's what's next for you guys? Uh, tell me what's coming up. Uh, do you guys have any more broad product categories you're looking at, like, I don't know, medical devices or things like that, or anything <laughs> else that you, you want to focus on in your next big expose? Yeah. Well, our our very next thing is Valentine's Day. And so in the past, we've reviewed dating apps and sex toys. Mm. Um, and that's been some of our like most popular content, shockingly. Um, huh. A couple of the sex toys of, of year after year been some of our top searched uh, products. So um, huh. and dating apps um, are very popular when it comes to privacy. So we're sure. refreshing oh, yeah. some of our reviews on dating apps. But this year we're adding um, reviews of AI girlfriend chatbots or romantic chatbots. Yeah, that's a thing. Yeah. That's a growing thing that that um, exists in our world now, these relationship chat relationship chatbots. So we're looking at those now in advance of Valentine's Day. And that's that's kind of, I mean, that's not probably going to be on the expose level of cars, but it is interesting and it is something that people seem to care about. Um, but we are going to spend some time later this year digging more deeply into the AIs. AIs kind of exploded last year. You yeah. probably never heard of chat GPT. Now right. you've heard of it way too much. Um, <laughs> open AI and BARD and, and, and everything and the AI is everywhere now. And what yeah. does that actually mean for me as a consumer? Um, yeah. our hope is to spend some time this year and dig into that and try and actually understand what that means. And and one example that I can give that we've seen already, there's a lot of concern about, you know, you download uh, our AI relationship chatbot. It's designed for you to talk to and share very sensitive information. That's right. what it's designed for. And so you go into that with an expectation uh, that that's what you're going to use it for. If you agree to the privacy policy when you download it and install the app, so basically download the app and click agree, like you probably will do, You've consented for that company to use the contents of your sensitive personal chats to train their AIs. Mm. And is that okay? Should there be a higher bar for consent for your sensitive right. personal information and the contents of those chats to be used to change, train their AIs? Should you have to give more explicit consent for that? I feel that you should. I feel that just simply agreeing to the privacy policy when you download the app isn't, isn't the high enough bar to say, okay, now use everything I tell this, my, my AI girlfriend to train your AIs. 
I think the bar should be higher. And so that's one thing that we've already kind of started to notice. But AIs are very interesting when it comes to privacy because um, they're designed to collect a lot more information. You know, uh, yeah. Bruce Schneier wrote an excellent article for Slate talking about how the Internet, as we've noted, has enabled mass surveillance. And AI is going to enable mass spying. And, mm-hmm. and he goes on and outlines the difference. And, and it's a really great way to frame how we think about this. Our new AI world is supercharging our privacy concerns. You know, I've been talking about this for six or seven years now. And people, some people listen, but nothing, people are like, I care about privacy, but I don't know what to do. So I just go about my life. Um, mm-hmm. With AI, AI is designed to collect tons of more personal information. They're designed for us to have personal conversations, to be our friends, to share a lot. And the privacy policies that we're seeing just aren't sufficient to cover and handle that from a consumer perspective. So we're hoping to get like elbows deep into what that looks like and what that means for consumers and see what we can find out and see what we can do to try and push for good. And by the way, if you, if you have not, if you're not buying into this, watch the movie Her with Joaquin Phoenix, and then you'll think you'll have a much better understanding of what she's talking about. So, uh, Jen, this is fantastic. We'll definitely have to have you back in the future. This was very informative. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks again, Jen, for coming on the show. That was great. That was a very, very interesting interview. I've got links in the show notes to their privacy not included report on car privacy. You should definitely check that out. Uh, also, she mentioned a Valentine's Day article. Uh, they did publish one. It uh, didn't cover all the things that she said it might cover. This one only covers the AI relationship chat bots. But that is still a very interesting read. And there's a link to that in the show notes as well. Hopefully, they'll be doing the ones on dating apps and uh, smart sex toys at some point. I will definitely want to read those. And when I hear that those are out, I will pass those along. She also mentioned the Bruce Schneier article in Slate Magazine. I found that and put a link in the show notes to that as well. So, I mean, if we've learned nothing else, modern cars are really becoming computers on wheels. There's even an industry term for this now. They're calling it, it's weird. It's called Software Defined Vehicle or SDV. But basically what they're saying is that cars, you know, are now connected to the internet and have an operating system and installed applications, regular software updates. They're kind of computers now. And because they're like computers, they have the same kind of vulnerabilities and uh, software bugs that you're going to expect to have in computers. Um, and because they're on the internet all the time now, they really need to be protected like a computer who's on the internet. We might get to the point where cars have built in antivirus software, or at least some of these anti-malware protections that are you know becoming built into like Windows and Mac OS. Or maybe we should think of it more like iOS or Android. Maybe it's more along those lines. Nevertheless, that's where we are today. And because our cars have gazillions of sensors in them and they're connected to the internet, they are collecting ridiculous amounts of information. And currently there's nothing preventing them from monetizing that data and sharing it with other people. So we've got to get that figured out. And so I'm really glad that Mozilla has published this report because we need more exposure on this. On Thursday's bonus podcast for the patrons, uh, of course, I've got some bonus Q&A with Jen. We talk about Privacy Not Included's origin story. We talk about MozFest, which I hadn't heard of. It's Mozilla's tech festival. Um, I hadn't heard of that, but apparently it's been going on for 15 years. And we talk about my concern about cellular motives on IoT devices. 
And we even talk about like some favorite privacy themed or oriented TV shows and movies. So anyway, just some fun extra questions for the patrons. And that as usual will be coming out on Thursday. So we need to support groups like Mozilla. If you like the kind of reporting that you heard today about privacy in cars, you should check out their privacy not included guide. There's a lot of great reviews there on other products. They didn't start with cars they start, as Jen was telling us, they started with other things. If you like the Firefox browser, uh, if you like the Tor browser, if you like the Mulvad browser, there are several browsers out there that are based on Firefox. We definitely need browser diversity. Right now, it's basically Firefox, Safari, and Chrome pretty much have the entire market. And fortunately, Chrome has most of it. So anyway, we need to support groups like Mozilla for, for lots of reasons. Uh, so if you're interested, I strongly recommend that you throw these guys a little appreciation. Go to their donate.mozilla.org website. Uh, you could do a one-time thing. You could do an ongoing thing like I do. I actually donate, uh, I think, 10 bucks a month. But another way to support them is just to use Firefox and get other people to use Firefox. We need to pry people away from, from using Chrome. It's like, I don't know, 60% of the entire population of the planet uses Chrome or something like that. So anyway, they are doing some really great stuff, and I would like to see them continue to do those things. And if you would do, then uh, find some way to help support Mozilla. So one more thing really quick before we go. I have finally gone through all of your feedback from the annual listener survey. Thank you again to everybody who responded. There's some really good stuff in there. Uh, I was very happy to see, honestly, that the vast majority of you really like what I'm doing and don't want me to change a whole lot. Uh, but there are some ideas in there that I will definitely be considering, uh, some that I will definitely be doing. <laughs> one of which, by the way, was pretty easy, and I can't believe I hadn't done it already. My URL shortening service that I host and created myself, the fdsd.me website that I use to shorten URLs like fdsd.me slash merch or slash dgoogle for my dgoogle your life series or slash dprc for my data privacy checklist. I've got several of these things and I use my own URL shortener for this. But if you go to just fdsd.me and don't put anything after the slash, if you just go to there, it fails. Like it gives an ugly error message. So I put a final, I put a very simple page. I'll try to make it prettier later. But I finally did put a very simple page there. I could have had it redirect to my main website, but I've actually got kind of two of them, right? I've got one for the podcast. I've got one for the blog. Those are technically two different websites. So I think what I'm going to do is make that just a jumping page for uh, how to get to those two main websites and maybe some other stuff too. So anyway, right now, if you go to fdsd.me, it actually has something there. And that was a suggestion that somebody put in the annual listener survey. So again, glad I did it. Thank you for saying that. Uh, and I'm already working on some of your suggestions. Many of you also recommended people that I could interview. I've already reached out actually to several of those people. I'm still waiting to hear back on some of them. One of them at least has been locked in. Uh, it may be a couple months before it happens, but uh, again, this is this is why I do the annual survey. This is why it's great for you to give me that feedback. I absolutely do take it to heart and try to act on it where I can. And honestly, I'd actually take feedback at any time. So if you want to send an email to feedback at firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com, I'll take that at any time. But every January, I do the survey, which gives me a chance to get some demographic information and some other things from you. Uh, and by the way, the, I did pick the 10 winners, uh, 10 random people who responded. They will receive a physical copy of my book. I'm working with my publisher on that, on that right now. Please be patient. It may take a few weeks for that to come through, but it will happen. So that will do it for this week, everybody. Thanks for tuning in as usual. Until next week, as always, stay safe out there and don't get caught with your drawbridge down.